0: Welcome to the Painting Lines podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? let Welcome back to Painting Lines. Last week we gave an update from the first week at Roland Garros, a week which was full of early upsets. And this week we're going to be recapping the second week, And we're mainly gonna be looking at the quarterfinals onward. Eric, is there anything else you wanna say to uh, introduce this
1: episode? Just enjoyed the tournament. You know, Congrats to Djokovic really separating himself from the rest of the big three. All kudos to him. To be honest, I didn't see it coming. I thought he was gonna lose to Alcaraz in the semis. So good to see him get it done.
0: I agree. It was uh, very cool to see him win. But let's jump right into it. I mean, I said we were gonna be talking about the quarterfinals onward mainly, but the fourth round, really, there was only one big event that I can think of. And that was the double-bounce controversy with Runa and Serendolo. Did you see that?
1: No, tell me about it. So
0: Runa hit this ball, and it was relatively clear that it had double-bounced, but the chair umpire didn't see it. So Serendolo stops the point, and he goes to the chair umpire, and is like, that ball just double-bounced. Like, what are you doing? I won that point. And then Runa didn't say anything, and the chair umpire was like, I didn't see it, and so... Serendolo actually got penalized and he lost the point. It's crazy to think about that because at this point with like all the automation and stuff that they have, you'd think that they couldn't really miss this.
1: Right. I mean, it kind of reminded me of what happened today with Bublik and Goffin. Similar scenario, wasn't a double bounce, but Bublik hit a nice, not a winner, but a ripper down the line. It was called out and then Goffin couldn't even play it. But they replayed the point and Bublik was essentially telling Goffin like, come on." man you weren't going to get there so i think because of the etiquette in tennis you have to admit when you're wrong like i think in both scenarios runa should have admitted that he was wrong you know he saw the double bounce and same thing with Goffin.
0: yeah i think they both knew he wasn't going to get that ball back he barely got a racket on it (laughs) there's no way he had enough time to hear the call out and react and then not hit the ball back in
1: Kind of happened to me this weekend. So I played on Saturday and no Sunday. And what happened was when I hit the drop shot and it double bounced, my opponent got it, but it was a clear double bounce, like just clipped up. And I just immediately stopped the point right there and was like two bounces. Like I I called it if he wasn't going to call it. The
0: weird thing is, I think in actual match play where it's, say, a tournament setting, it's technically whoever's side it's on, it's their call
1: oh okay
0: so like if i hit it onto your side and it double bounces and then you hit it back over and i say that double bounce and you're like no it didn't i can call a a judge to come over and watch the next few points but they can't actually change anything because it's technically your call i believe right
1: right that's a good point hey let's get back to the automation like you you were saying that shouldn't be happening in today's tennis right so I would argue that it keeps tennis pure to keep technology out of it. That's true. And tennis is a traditional sport. There's a ton of already in place traditions that a lot of the fans and the players don't really want to see go. But it kind of gets to the point where sports in general, like think about...
0: I mean, in baseball, they're doing it right now. They're trying out the pitch monitors so that they could get rid of home plate umpires.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think about them not using Hawkeye in the French Open? Like it's a little ridiculous.
0: It does seem kind of strange. I think they should have at least had challenges.
1: Yeah, it's pretty funny to see a ball hit on the other side of the court, the umpire run down, point at it and then make the call. Like come on, man. You're not you're not making that call like, also, you don't necessarily know that's the exact mark either. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, look at the US Open. They don't even have line judges anymore. All the calls are made on the system.
0: It is definitely a, a sign of a shifting sport.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about technology evening out the playing field. Though. like Back to what I was trying to say with other sports. If you have two players who one is significantly better than the other, you could argue that that person should win every time with the right technology because it'll make the right calls but without technology it essentially evens out the playing field because the person who is less skillful less talented will ultimately benefit from lack of the per like do you think sports calls should be perfect or should there be a little human error in it well i
0: think that Either way, you can't say that the favorite person would always win. But I think the technology aspect, while it is nice to have the umpires there, and I think in some sports, there's a lot of sort of ambiguity in a call. So you can't necessarily have a computer that can analyze the play and the situation. Like in basketball is really what I'm thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of subtleties in how a charge can be called versus a block yeah so unless it's a and it really advanced ai it would be really tough i think for it to do that in tennis because of what the judges really do i think that they probably could be replaced without there being very much impact on the game and it probably would be better
1: yeah i think they'll always have umpires chair umpires at least just to sit there you know kind of moderate but in my opinion, I think this is why I don't like watching basketball because all the reviews slow the game down so much. And that's why I like tennis. Tennis, you know, despite it matches lasting over five hours, moves relatively quick, you know. They have a clock on serves, you're not allowed to sit all day in between sets. Like it does flow. And if you're stopping to review every single point, then
0: that's true, but I think the replays like you couldn't really have a computer make those calls in basketball at this point?
1: No, I just think they shouldn't even review it, that they should just let the game go on with human error. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever the ref calls is final. Okay. That's my opinion.
0: I feel like that just puts even more pressure onto the refs.
1: Yeah, I mean, they get paid the big bucks, don't they? At least NBA refs do. I don't know how much tennis umpires get paid. That'd be a good... Probably
0: a decent amount.
1: Let's look that up.
0: But anyway... Moving on from that controversy, the quarterfinals, I really had two matchups that I was really excited to see. And that was Runa versus Rude and Pass versus Alcaraz. Two matchups of big guys. I talked about last week how early upsets can get rid of those big matchups that you kind of hope to see in the later rounds. But these were a couple of matchups where I was like, these are guys that are all title contenders, essentially. First up, Runa versus Rude.
1: It was not a pretty match.
0: Yeah. Rude really dominated Runa in those first two sets. Runa was not playing great. I
1: was going to say. Yeah? So, sorry to cut you off, but I don't think he necessarily dominated him. I think Runa just played so poorly.
0: I just meant dominated as in it was really one-sided.
1: Yes. Okay. Fair. Fair.
0: But yeah. And then Runa left the court after the second set and then came back in the third set and like was a different player and he won the third set and I was just sitting there thinking about what was it Madrid where he left the court yeah and then came back and I was like if Rude loses oh, this I he's know. gonna be pissed
1: I know because Rude eventually yeah remember he spoke out against it he was yeah. like hey players should not be allowed to do this when the other person's on serve Um, it needs to be checked he was hoping that Runa would have the integrity and you know not do it but yeah. This would have been fun. This would have been hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. He probably looked in the mirror and was like, or his mom or someone in the locker room told him, hey, eat a Snickers. You're not you when you hungry.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He said something like Came that. Came
1: back a whole different person.
0: Yeah. But then uh, Rude didn't get rattled in that from that third set. He was able to deliver that in that fourth set and uh, come out on top.
1: Yeah. 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 Thank God.
0: Honestly, not as close of a match as I was expecting going into it. So,
1: Oh, I know. And to be completely honest, I think Runa probably would have played Djokovic way better than Rude. I think we would have seen a five-setter in the final.
0: Djokovic has experience sort of against Rude, and he knows how he plays. I think Runa being so young, it gives him a little bit more of an unknown aspect. So Djokovic would have had to deal with that a little bit more.
1: I agree. My thesis on this is Rude is a very defensive player and passive where he'll let the opponent make the mistake, hence how he beat Runa, because Runa essentially beat himself. But you can't do that against Djokovic. Djokovic is just too sound of a player and he won't make those mistakes, whereas Runa, he's aggressive. So when his highs are high and his lows are low. Yeah, you know what I mean.
0: Rude was just sitting there waiting for the wall to miss. Yeah. Oh (laughs) shit! It's never gonna happen. Yeah,
1: Djokovic was just grinding him down.
0: Yeah, but then in the other quarterfinal, I was talking about Alcaraz versus Tsitsipas. I mean, really, just that was disappointing. Did not deliver on what I was, on what seemed like would be a really intense matchup.
1: Yeah, I know. We were hoping that that would be, you know, one of the big rivals we see in the future.
0: Yeah. I, I do remember though after that match some tennis outlet posted a video and it was just cartoon of one thing one person spanking the other and then they just posted Alcaraz's face over oh. the person. In I'm like, damn man, you got I had to go there.
1: Yeah, well he he owns Sitsi Pass. Their head to head is 5-0. Stefanos has never beat Carlos.
0: That's pretty wild to see. But uh in the other quarterfinals, Kachinov Took the first set off Djokovic. It was the first set Djokovic lost in the entire tournament. But then after a tiebreak in the second, Djokovic kind of had all the momentum and just carried it through the rest of the match.
1: Yeah, that's classic Djokovic, you know, dropping the first set and then coming back and owning him.
0: Exactly. Just let his opponent get comfortable (laughs) and just like completely destroy them. And then we had that last quarterfinal matchup with Zverev versus Echeverri, And I I don't think this was a matchup anybody expected to see in a quarterfinal. Echeverri unseeded and Zverev the number 22 seed. Kind of both coming out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, those Argentinians, they're they're good on the clay. The South Americans in general.
0: Yeah. And Echeverri got a set, but he was never... I was never really worried that Zverev was going to lose. It seemed that it was written that he would be in the semifinals. I don't know. Destiny.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Destiny. Love it. And then uh, we got to the
0: semifinals. Rude versus Zverev in the, uh, the bottom half and Alcaraz versus Djokovic. And uh, I got to jump into that first matchup with Rude and Zverev. It really just seemed like <laughs> Zverev finally hit someone in the draw that was a very capable top-level player. I mean, he played Tiafo, who's... A great player but not in the top 10 and then he plays the number four guy in the world and really sees what what the clay court level should look like
1: Uh, yeah this match was pretty funny because I was looking at the odds leading up to the match and it wasn't even but it was pretty close you can get Zverev maybe like plus 110 um, Rude minus like 105 and then as the game or as the time approached to the game the odds were just in so much Rude's favor and my dad actually texted me like because he lives in Florida, so you're not allowed to sports bet there. And I'm up in New York, so I place his bets for him. And he texted me, like, hey, can you put some money on Rude for me? And I didn't see the text until like 30 minutes into the game when he was up, I think four love or four one. And I still put the money on, but I got the worst odds. I got him at like minus 385 (laughs) i didn't even realize the game had started because i was at work so i placed this bet i'm like wow like the odds shifted a lot and then i texted my dad i'm like hey got you these odds sorry and he goes well i guess that's what happens when you're when he's up 4-1 and that's when i realized the match started so i kept checking in on it and it was just out of hand it was over before i knew it before i can even try to put it on
0: blew right through him to be honest
1: yeah all right let's get on to the other one
0: really the matchup that i think probably the most exciting matchup for people that of the tournament even more than the final i think i think people were looking forward to alcaraz versus Djokovic. i think it's especially because they had their first matchup it was like a spectacular match it was three set obviously it wasn't a grand slam but it was three sets and it was incredibly close sets i think it was a tie break in the third and so people were just hoping for more fireworks from this match. So the first set, it went out, and I think it really was just some of the highest level of tennis we've seen this year. Djokovic went out, and he just took that set. He broke Alcaraz, but it wasn't like Alcaraz played badly on his serve. Mm-hmm. Djokovic really just went out there and was just taking everything that he could.
1: Yeah, how about that shot?
0: I was going to bring that up a little later, but yeah, that was uh. one of the best shots I think I've ever seen. Should we describe it for the fans if they didn't see it?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: I mean, so Djokovic hits a drop shot and Alcaraz comes up to the right side of the net, chips it back over. Djokovic hits a sort of like a half lob. He's just trying to get the distance so that Alcaraz will hopefully give up on the ball. Alcaraz is running after this ball and everyone's just looking at him like, oh, there's no way he gets to this, right? He slides. He doesn't even just slide to the ball. He slides across the the path of the ball behind it. As he slides, he swings, spins, and hits the ball at a crazy angle back, continuing the ball across the court, and passes Djokovic. And I think everybody in the audience had to have a second where they were just stunned. And then everyone was. Djokovic
1: had a second where he was stunned.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. It was so good of a shot that I think Djokovic almost forgot that he was playing in the Grand Slam semifinal for a second. It was just like, that was one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. Yeah,
1: the the only thing I can compare that to is when Roddick and Federer played a while ago and Roddick hit that smash and Federer just whipped it right back hit a winner down the line, and Roddick was in such disbelief, he took his racket and threw it on the other side of the court and bowed down. Yeah. (laughs) That's just, like, what you got to do. There's nothing you you, can do at that point. Yeah, exactly. If you're Djokovic, you're, you know, kudos. Clap, give him a smile. But But yeah, the slide was amazing.
0: Such a spectacular feat of just pure athleticism.
1: But do you think that pure athleticism is his Achilles heel? As we get in later to the match.
0: In a way. I mean, we all know like he grinded out in that second set, battled back. But then like right as Djokovic seemed to be fading, Alcaraz hit what you're mentioning, like this cramping issue. And it may be because he's such a ridiculous athlete, maybe just his body can't handle the the endurance of that.
1: Very well said. It's gonna be interesting to see how his body holds up the rest of his career like if he's going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and if he's going at this rate he might not even make it till 30.
0: Yeah well I mean it's a a situation I mean it isn't the same type of injuries that Nadal had but obviously Nadal is known for having some injuries throughout his career and he has a similar thing everybody talks about Nadal and how he's he's the grinder he goes out there and he he plays every single ball he's playing so deep behind the baseline, getting to everything. And he's had a lot of injuries as well. So I wonder if this is a similar thing that we're going to see with Alcaraz.
1: Yeah, so you brought up an interesting point. Injury, and this is a cramp. I I don't believe the two are the same. Like, yes, you know, it impeded his performance, but is this something that he could fix? Like, how do you not cramp up? I think if you take the proper precautions and prepare, maybe you could avoid the cramps
0: yeah just maybe it's just an experience thing yeah but also i mean i was kind of shocked when i started to see it in this match because we saw it earlier in the year Mm -hmm. when he was playing sinner in miami the same thing happened he split the first two sets and then goes into the third he just can't even move and sinners just completely taking advantage of it and you have to think what is his coaching staff doing to deal with this? Yeah. Because it's clearly an issue. And if he can't maintain such a high level at these big tournaments and is just running out of gas, something has to be done.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll look at this as, you know, something to be learned.
0: Yeah. And then after, obviously he cramped Djokovic took those last couple sets and that set up the, uh, the final to me. Root is in a very similar situation to he had last year. He's playing an all-time great on clay, and I don't know how he can prepare any differently than he prepared for uh, Nadal, to be honest.
1: I think he lost the match before it even started. I think he is too nice. He needs to come more with a killer attitude and more confidence. Like, if you hear him talk, he basically says that he knew he was going to lose to Nadal last year. He knew he was going to... Like, how do you... He basically, says, How do you play against these guys? Like, they're great. It's like, if you want to win a grand slam, you have to be you have to have the mindset that you can win, not just yeah. be happy to be there.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about Djokovic's first grand slam. He won the 2008 Australian Open against Joe Wilford Songa, who's a great player, who's mm-hmm. an excellent player, long time in the top 10. But it was Songa's only grand slam final. So maybe Djokovic got lucky in that final and that helped him break out. but... Not everybody can be lucky like that. A lot of the time, to win the final... I mean, Alcaraz had this too. Alcaraz had to beat Rude again. Mm -hmm. If Rude had maybe won that final, he would have had more confidence going into this one. But Alcaraz got the chance, and he was able to win this Grand Slam, didn't have to play one of the big three. That's a luck that you can't rely on.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, a point I wanted to bring up was, do you consider Rude part of the next gen? Because I feel like he came onto the scene a little later than them. But he's around that age.
0: Well, he's actually, I feel like he's kind of in between because like, he's not really the same as Medvedev, Zverev, people like that, where they're like 27, 28, but he's also not as young as like a Sinner or a Runa or an Alcaraz where they're right, right. 19 to 20, 21.
1: But Sitsipas, he's 24. He's considered next gen, maybe because he came onto the scene a little earlier. than Maybe. Maybe, there, but uh the reason I brought it up was because I saw a great quote, uh, Jason Gay in the Wall Street Journal. He referenced the next gen as the lost gen because yeah. of the fact that you know Djokovic and Nadal, not so much Federer, but
0: that that's a good uh, a good way of describing it.
1: Mm-hmm. But how about the actual match? What did you see? What did you like? I mean, what I you think like? it was
0: a good match in terms of like the quality of tennis played, but it just seemed like Djokovic was just the better player. Mm-hmm. And so Djokovic just had that extra 2% in every single set and then took it in three.
1: Yeah. You saw it a lot later. Yeah. In the beginning, it looked like it could go Rude's way when he got well, that Well, I mean, yeah, he jumped out
0: at the, at the front. I mean, yeah. he jumped out and he was up 3-0 and then, what, 4-1 and then Djokovic broke back.
1: Yeah, I should have cashed out my bet then.
0: <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, honestly, Rude right now kind of reminds me of – where team was at in like 2016 through 2019. Because in the French Open in 2016, team lost to Djokovic in the semis. Then he actually beat Djokovic in straight sets in 2017, but lost to Nadal in the semis. Then in 2018, he lost to Nadal in the final. And then in 2019, he beat Djokovic again in the semis and lost to Nadal in the final. He just couldn't break through. Obviously, team got that lucky Grand Slam at the 2020 US Open, didn't have to play uh, Djokovic in that match. Djokovic obviously uh, famously got knocked out of that match for hitting the lines with him with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a situation for Ruud right now where he's just looking for that little bit of luck where mm-hmm. either he has just his day where he beats, plays against Djokovic and beats him or plays against Nadal and beats them, or he gets lucky in his draw and doesn't have to play them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I you made a great point like with team... I wonder what this is going to do to Rude's mentality, his outlook on his career. Like, is he so defeated out of the last three Grand Slams that he's been in? He's won one set. Like, that yeah. cannot be good for your psyche or your confidence.
0: I, I, yeah, I think that's definitely something he's thinking about. But I think that at 24, he still is thinking about, oh, I have a long career ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I can continue to improve, and I think he still has confidence that he will win a Grand Slam at some point. And I really hope he does. I mean, it it would be really rough for him to lose in three finals and not get one.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's also a hard guy to root against, you know. Yeah, he's such, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why I think it hurts though. I think he's too nice. Mm.
0: I see what you're saying. He mm-hmm. doesn't have that extra little bit of fire. But the yeah. thing is, he he probably does. He just doesn't show it on the court.
1: Yeah. Well, he said that he he was quoted saying that he wants to be that player that will never break a racket on tour. Yeah. Um, and that he wants to be in control of himself a hundred percent of the time, which I respect him for.
0: Yeah. I wonder if he's just going home and just like pulling out like twenty five rackets and just smashing them <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> oh. Just yeah, going full like McEnroe, but only in his, <laughs> only in his like house and just yelling at like the wall yeah but now Djokovic has the uh, most slams all time how do you think this impacts the goat debate I mean I I saw so many comments on social media saying it's over now it's over do you think that's uh the case
1: yes and no I I do objectively but there's a part of me that will always say Federer is the goat just because he had to play in two different eras of tennis you know he Played against the Samprises and Agassiz, like guys who were legit. Then, when the style of play was different, the technology wasn't exactly there. And then also played throughout two decades of innovative tennis, different styles. So I think based on that, Federer is still the goat. But if you're talking just based off Grand Slams wins, all that, Djokovic. And I want to, I want to hear what you guys think. I want to hear what the fans think too. So, wh- what about you, Aiden?
0: I mean, to me, I think that him winning this, while hypothetically, oh, he now has the most Grand Slams, and this is actually, interesting enough, this is actually the first time he's ever led the Grand Slam. The race? Yeah, the Grand Slam race, because he's always been like, even when they all had 20, he was tied with them. Mm -hmm. But to be completely honest, I don't think this Grand Slam really impacts people's opinions that much. Maybe I'm
1: wrong. Why, why do you say that?
0: I say that because I think that the people that thought Djokovic was the goat, they aren't impacted, right? But him having 23 versus 22, how many people were really like that 23rd is what makes him the goat? What? What? How? I don't think there were that many people that were looking at that race because he already had tied for the most, and he had so many other stats that said he was the best ever in those statistical things. I don't think this one extra Grand Slam really changes that much. I think the people that were saying Federer's the GOAT, mm-hmm. he already has more Grand Slams than Federer. Him having three more versus two more, I don't think will impact how people would view that uh, difference.
1: So you're saying the GOAT debate doesn't solely depend on how many Grand Slams a player has? I Basically, think... Right? it's it's You're encompassing everything. I th-
0: well, I think it. people view the GOAT debate... Differently and so some people view it in terms of the statistics. Some people are looking at it. Oh Djokovic has the most of all these stats. He's the GOAT Other people look at it for like Federer and they say oh Federer did these things he was groundbreaking tennis player. He dominated his era He maybe had the the best peak of all time that makes him the GOAT, but mm-hmm. then there are other people like uh, people say oh Bjorn Borg he won Uh, 11 Grand Slams before he was 25 and then retired. Maybe he's the GOAT because he was so dominant then. Rod Laver won all four Grand Slams, then turned pro because the Grand Slams were actually amateur when he played, based on my understanding. And he turned pro for seven years, so he couldn't play in the Grand Slams. And then he went back and he won them all again in the same year. So there were two separate years where he won all four of them. Maybe he's the GOAT because he was insanely dominant whenever he played in them. He would have had so many if he had been able to play in his entire career. So I think that it depends on how you're looking at it. And because of that, I think the people that already thought Djokovic was the GOAT obviously still think it. I don't think anybody's really been that swayed by that 23rd.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That's fair. Did you happen to see the other goat who was in Djokovic's box? Uh, Tom Brady? Tom Brady. I did see that, that. That's pretty funny. That's ironic. Because yeah. think about it. Like, we're saying he's going for goat status. And to have Tom Brady, who many people consider as the goat, there, pretty funny. What did you think of his jacket? How it already had the 23 imprinted on it?
0: I, I noticed that. And they I think they commented on it but i also looked back and i think when he won the 22nd at the australian open it also had a 22 on it oh wow so i think i think it was something that was kind of a a trend like they mm-hmm. they had already done it before in a way but it was it was more noticeable because it was the uh, mm-hmm. or more brought up because it was the actual breaking the record
1: Right. I think if Djokovic would have won that calendar slam in 2021, he would have been undisputed GOAT. All right, let's keep this GOAT debate going another time. It, it's never-ending. There, exactly. there is no right or wrong answer. That's true. But we're going to hop into segments. So what's new in tennis?
0: Well, while Djokovic was winning this 23rd Grand Slam, a former rival of his was kind of getting a moral victory in the London neighborhood of Surbiton murray won the Surbiton trophy challenger which is pretty cool i mean it's his second title of the year i mean two challengers but still a second title of the year and i think it's great because i think it's just building up his confidence going into wimbledon which he's been really i think hoping to do well in
1: i think it's great too this dude just clearly loves to play tennis yeah you know Fake hip, hip replacement, still going, playing challengers, man. He does not care. He just wants to play. Exactly. I Good mean, for him.
0: I think it's it's very different than how some other people play challengers where they're viewing it like, oh, this is going to be our way of building back up to get to the higher level. I feel like Murray's yeah. just like, I'm just going to go play and just like try to win.
1: I feel like it's a high risk, high reward. Because if you don't win the whole thing, it looks terrible.
0: Yeah, like Like team. Like-
1: yeah, and Barrettini. or
0: Berrettini in Phoenix, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Speaking of Baratini, I mean, <laughs> did you see his uh his match uh, against Sonigo?
1: I didn't see it, but I heard he. Oh my God! Too well.
0: He got absolutely clobbered. And what's crazy <laughs> is he won that tournament last year.
1: Oh man! So,
0: like we were talking about last week with the ranking points, he is going to go straight down in terms of ranking. Ooh. I mean, he, I think next week is the the Queens Club Challenger, which is like, mm-hmm. or not Challenger, the Queens Club uh, tournament. Interesting because if he doesn't do well in that tournament, he's going to drop out of like the top fifty.
1: Is he in danger of not qualifying?
0: Uh, for what? For Wimbledon, Wimbledon, Wimbledon yeah. I think he will probably be in the ranking high enough that he'll get a qualifier. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to like go through the actual qualifying process, but it's going to be closer. I don't think he'll be seated.
1: Wow. Yeah. The only highlight I saw from that match was uh, I think Sonigo put up a, like a desperate lob and Berrettini could have smashed it, but then like lightly hit it on his racket and like as a drop shot and Sonigo ended up chasing it down and then lobbing Berrettini. Berrettini tried to be cute, go through the tweener and lost the point one that he clearly should have won
0: that's so bad
1: yeah all right
0: what about you what did you see
1: mine is kind of a little uh gossipy part of the news but stefano Tsitsipas and paula Badosa are instagram official so those two are dating can you believe that i don't I really mean,
0: know who paula ba- Badosa is she's
1: she's in on the wta tour dude she's uh oh pretty famous spanish tennis player well
0: that's why that's why oh, our, our uh, podcast is about atp tennis <laughs> because <laughs> i unfortunately don't follow wta tennis uh, uh yeah super, super i think stuff.
1: it's pretty i think it's funny i don't know how uh, i know monfi he has a uh tennis player wife too
0: what does you think about him saying uh, he wanted margot robbie at that one
1: tournament yeah right right well i thought it was pretty funny i I saw this because I saw a picture of them two and Steph. or it was actually get this. They made an Instagram together. Very cringy. Um, and it said on it, it was a selfie of them and it said zero grand slams, but all the love in the world. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I wonder if he them. came up with that <laughs>
1: caption. Oh, I know at least they're making light of their yeah. lack of grand slams.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you want to get onto a of the week?
1: Yeah, bet of the week. Um, it wasn't too much action going on this week. Uh, I'm having to take Tiafo minus 330 over Le- Le- Oh, Licheka.
0: massive favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did do some digging into it though, and Tiafo's pretty decent on grass, he's got a 56 percent winning sh- uh, percentage on the grass surface, whereas the only has 36 percent. So, I don't know, it should be. A roll, I'm hoping. I'm really hoping because this does not pay out too well. Yeah. Um, what about you? Who are you taking?
0: I'm uh taking a bet uh, that is kind of a little bit of a, a dampener on people's morale right now because Milos Raonic just got back from a long hiatus and he won his first round match, but I think that he's going to have a level of ri- ring rust going into the second match. So I'm taking Thompson over Raonic plus 125. Raonic is the favorite at, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. (laughs) Hertogenbosch. And, uh, so I think it's a
1: Deutsch. (laughs) Then, (laughs) yeah.
0: Unfortunately, no Stuttgart. That's the other (laughs) tournament going on right now. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, he is just going to have that level of hasn't played in two years played the first match, wins it, but I think there's going to be a level of shakiness going into that second round.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. This will be a good one. All right. I'm going to get into match of the week. Uh, Mine was rude versus Jerry. You know, it wasn't the best of matches. It was only three sets. Rude got him seven, six, seven, five, seven, five, but I'm giving all credit to rude for this because he lost to him previously in Geneva, like pretty handedly. And, To be able to make the adjustments, come back, and beat him in three sets is very impressive.
0: Yeah, but I mean, really tight. I mean, the fact that he had to go to seven games in all three of the sets really shows how close it was and how tightly he was. Exactly, exactly. For me, I'm going to go with uh, Runa over Serendolo. It was uh, 7-6, 3-6, 6-4, 1-6, 7-6. I talked about it earlier but it was just a super intense back and forth match had the drama and to me really just kept you at the uh, edge of your seat. I mean, when Serendolo took that set, that fourth set one, six, you kind of felt he had the momentum going into that fifth set, but then uh, Runa able to grind it out in that last set. And then, I mean, even with Runa's fair play issues, it's hard not to say that he's been playing at like a really impressive level. Like it's, really spectacular to see. I think he was in the mid thirties this time last year. And uh, now he's up at top five, top six in the world. So.
1: Yeah. He will have quite the career ahead of him. Yeah. He just needs to get his stuff figured out. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like you said, his fairness. Yeah. All right. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks guys for tuning in. Let us know what you think and we will see you next week all right and that's the show if you're not already subscribed go ahead and hit that subscribe button you can find us on instagram tiktok youtube at painting lines podcast feel free to shoot us a dm or email us any questions or thoughts at painting lines podcast at gmail.com